Thanks for listening to The Issue Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to catch our new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. For more of The Issue and access to our top bets and fantasy updates, then subscribe to The Issue Miked Up. Link is on our website, which can be found in the bio of our Instagram, which is at the underscore issue podcast, and our Twitter, which is just at the issue podcast. New subscription episodes come out every Friday. Guys, thank you so much for listening to The Issue. You are now locked in and listening to The Issue. You look at this schedule. Find me the wins here. Find me the wins. You've got to be delusional if you think he's elite. Well, from what I'm seeing right now, he's a top 10 guy in this league, no doubt. Absolutely, I think they can be for a championship. I I don't even think that's a a debate I'm willing to, to have. This is The Issue. Yo ho, what's up? We are back. It is Thursday, February 17th, and we have another episode here. A great episode with a great guest, Eric Kasparovich, coming on the show in about six to seven minutes now. Uh, should be a great conversation with him. Looking forward to that. We got Super Bowl to review. We got a lot of stuff to go over. How you feeling? God, it's a fun episode. I'm excited to talk to him, kind of pick his brain, right? He is, I mean, surely the, probably the smartest football coach. Um, well, I've never really been coached by him, but I, that I've ever really been around. Because yeah. I've heard some of his speeches and, and seen him talk uh, when it comes to talking football or just in general, right? Just super smart guys. So it's going to be awesome uh, to kind of talk to him, you know, and then obviously review the Super Bowl. Biggest game of the football season. So, uh, yeah. Perfect cap to a great NFL season. Yeah, for sure. Um, He will be on, like we said, in about uh, five to six minutes. Uh, Just to kind of start the show, you know, the NFL season has now come to a close. The Super Bowl is over. We will have that to review. Um, You know, but if you're looking for a place to still listen to a lot of good NFL content throughout the offseason, it's this show. We have, uh, you know, we'll have the combine to cover pro days. And then obviously we prepare for the draft. We'll do our own mock drafts. Um, and we're playing games like uh, GM Genius that we have coming up later today. We're doing the AFC North. Uh, we're going to go through all the four teams, find out what their needs are and what they should address first in the draft, and uh, just like general relative needs, run down the laundry list. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. But first, but first, let me get into uh, some some Super Bowl talk, right? So, so I hear. A couple different things uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl, right? The Bengals, oh, they're so young, and they're, they're definitely going to be back. Yeah, no, it's surely possible. Joe Burrow seems like the guy that would be able to overcome pretty much anything, right? He took, I mean, you could argue a bottom five offensive line in the league when it comes to pass blocking. He was sacked 70 times, and that's, that's Andrew Luck-type things. So, so he's proven that he can overcome pretty much anything. Got sacked seven times. In the divisional round, seven times in the Super Bowl. Was still a super competitive player, right? And he's got talent around him. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, right? Their defense is a lot more sound than we thought. Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Jesse Bates on the back end. I mean, that's a sound defense, right? And I will say it's good news that you can rebuild your offensive line in one offseason. 
Drafting from the 31st spot, though, changes a lot, right? The Chargers were able to completely rebuild their offensive line. They did it. They had a lot of cap space. So did the Bengals. That's good. But they also had, what, the 13th pick? They were drafting in the low teens. It's different when you're drafting 31st. You don't find a Rashawn Slater like the Chargers did at, at number 31 in, in the first round. It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And not to mention, you, you, the back end still needs work. There's seven starters that are now free agents, or will be whenever the, the quote-unquote league year is done. It'll be seven free agents. And I, I, I still don't know if Zach Taylor is the guy. I'm going to give the ball to Samaj P. Ryan. He's about their seventh or eighth best player in a critical spot on the final draft. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I love Joe Burrow. I love Cincinnati. That's a, that's a well-built team. Nobody expected it. They played their butt off this season. It was a great season. A magical one, you could say, right? Almost a, Cilera, a Cinderella, you know, type run. It was sort of Florida Gulf Coast in, in what, like 2012? In the in the uh, in the, the tournament, right? In the basketball tournament. No, then they woke up the next the next day and they were still Florida Gulf Coast. They didn't wake up the next day and they were Duke. They, they didn't wake up the next day and, and they're North Carolina and then they're a dynasty. That that's not how it worked. They woke up the next morning, and they were still Florida Gulf Coast. Not to mention their division is insane. I, I mean the Steelers, if they can find a sliver of a quarterback, which they have shown historically to be able to do, Bradshaw, even Cordell Stewart wasn't bad. And Big Ben. I mean, the Ravens, they look like they're going anywhere. Lamar wins 80% of his games. I mean, you, you could have your arguments about his limitations in the playoffs. He wins 80% of his games. I mean, we, we could talk about Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, Baker's probably not the guy, but that roster, that roster is a top-five roster in the AFC. You could argue me into top-five roster in the league right now. Top to bottom, two good backs, two good tight ends, all-pro offensive line, two good wideouts. Two good DBs, two good pass rushers. I mean, they have two of everything. You could argue me into that's that's a top five roster in the league. So I I'd be careful about the whole oh oh let's let's put the Bengals in seven more Super Bowls over the next decade. Okay, let's let's be careful with the whole Joe Burrow's the next Tom Brady, and they're the next New England dynasty because not exactly what I saw. Did I see some hope? Did I see some promise? Absolutely. They have some major obstacles though. And then the Rams, I'm hearing. From, from media personnel, as well as people in the locker room, which surprises me every time when people who actually play the sport don't see a trend in the sports, right? It's like you're, you're in it, and in real time, it's tough to see. They're interested in bring everybody back, right? Well, no, no, no. Let's look at the past Super Bowl winners over the last, you know, so many years. We'll go with like six years, right? Seven years, eight years, maybe. 2014, Seattle. Now they brought everybody back. You know, they lost Super Bowl the next year, brought everybody back again. And has Seattle been back to the Super Bowl since? No. Have they made a real legitimate run? No. They've been bounced in the first round. Uh, how about Philadelphia and what was that, like 2017, 2018, right? No, yeah, they brought everybody back, gave everybody huge contracts, Carson Wentz included. And now they have Jalen Hurts as their quarterback, right? Um, so that, 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 that didn't work out. They fired the coach, shipped the quarterback off, and now you have a C-plus quarterback. Okay, that didn't work out. Um, how about Kansas City 2020? Yes, they're still a really good football team. But was bringing every single person back exactly what they needed, right? Did they need all those good weapons and completely neglect the offensive line and let Patrick Mahomes out to dry? Probably not. Probably not, right? 2021 Tampa. They bring everybody back, including AB and kind of a head-scratcher, right? Including old Gronk, who, yeah, is still good, but is, do we need to bring everybody back? Let's look at the teams that have won it 
a.k.a. the New England Patriots, that have consistently been there and won it. Let's see who they, quote-unquote, bring back. Well, in 2016, their leading rusher was LeGarrette Blunt. Their two leading receivers was Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan, and their defense was led by Logan Ryan, Trey Flowers, and Patrick Chung. In 2018, only two years later, their leading rusher was Sonny Michelle, and their wide receivers were Julian Edelman again, and then you had Gronk and James White. Hmm, and their defense was led by Stephon Gilmore, again Trey Flowers, uh, John, and then Jonathan Jones, Deron Harmon, and J.C. Jackson in the secondary. There's very few of the same names on that. Oh, and by the way, the Rams are $20 million over the cap. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can bring everybody back. I mean, uh, hoping everybody's going to take a pay cut, and, and all the young players are just totally fine wasting another year and don't want to leave, and, you know, hopefully the old guys take care of their body while they're also celebrating a championship. And Go, go and bring everybody. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, I I think you should be wary of bringing everybody back. But I'll tell you um, who we are going to bring back, hopefully after this interview as well, because I'm really excited to talk to him. So let's let's bring him on for the first time, Coach Eric Kasparovich. Now joining us on the issue, we have Eric Kasparovich. Uh, you may have heard his name if you've ever had a conversation even closely regarding football in, in Pennsylvania and beyond. He has two state championships, three Whitfield championships, and he is fully responsible for making Pine Richland a top dynasty in PA. Uh, he was also on the coaching staff on that absolutely electric Pitt Panthers team this past season uh, where they went on to win the ACC. Uh, he's here, and we're so excited to get talking to him. And uh, Eric Kasparovich, everyone. Yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate you guys having me. Uh, pleasure to be on and you know talk a little football. Absolutely, Coach. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you watched the, the Super Bowl being the biggest game of the year for, for the NFL, which is obviously the highest level of football. My takeaway from the whole from the whole game, right, the big players stepped up when it counted, right? Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford, Aaron Donald. Um, so with those big players, do you ever, you know, as a coach, how does it change your, your scheming and how you prepare? You know, you coached against a guy like DeAndre Swift who was – I mean, significantly more talented than almost everyone on the field. He's just that that kind of guy. Um, how do you adjust your game plan for those big time guys? Yeah, well, first off, I think when you talk to Super Bowl, you got to talk about the halftime show real quick. That was <laughs> my genre. That whole uh, you know hip hop and rap. So that was pretty cool to see. But back to the game. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's saying in football, kind of players make plays and. You know, you have good teams and, you know, you have a lot of good coaches out there and, you know, some average teams, just some average players can become really good teams. But ultimately to, to win a championship and to win at the highest level or whatever the highest level is of each level you're playing at, whether that's college, NFL, high school, you know, you ultimately need to have some really good players. And, you know, in the Super Bowl, like you mentioned, you know, the cream rose to the top when it needed to, you know, Aaron Donald made some plays and, uh, Cooper Cup obviously had an MVP performance, and Matt Stafford made plays when he needed to as well. And heck, the, I think the MVP could have went to either one of the three of them. Um, but yeah, to, to, you know, I think it's an interesting question. You know, um, I'm a big believer in you know not letting that person beat you. You know, for instance, you're going into a game and um, you know you're playing against the you know you brought up DeAndre Swift and you know. If I'm calling the defense against a guy like that, that's a guy I'm not going to let let beat us. You know, I'm going to do everything in my power to stop him and make make the other team beat you with somebody else, right? Make them left-handed. You know, if I'm coaching against, um, you know, the Rams in that Super Bowl, 
you know, I know, I know they got a ton of weapons, but when once uh, OBJ went out, I think it was, geez, I mean, you better double, triple team, do something, not let Cooper Cup touch the ball. And it seemed like they, they tried to do that a little bit, but then for whatever reason, you know, especially that last drive, he went right down the field. And I forget the stat, but I thought I saw he had like maybe four receptions on that last drive. And, um, you know, I don't think they did a good enough job keeping him out of the game plan. Um, maybe, I don't know who else they were going to – they had zero running game, and they really had nobody else to throw the ball to at least. Or so it seemed once OBJ went out. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say is just kind of, you know, you know they have a stud – Take that stud out of the game and make him beat you with somebody else. But right. easier said, easier said than done. <laughs> right, right. I agree. So you, you mentioned, uh, you know, they had no running game. That's the second Super Bowl now that McVay is coached in, where he's had no running game. Belichick um, clogged up the gaps. McVay is notorious for getting the numbers in his advantage, uh, you know, to the run side of the play. It seems like he can't do that in Super Bowls. Um, you're you're a relatively defensive minded coach. What do you feel that teams are doing against the Rams to stop their running game? Well, I, I, I think that's probably a two-part question. I think they're doing a great job scheming. You know, you obviously have two weeks, and these are the best of the best, and they're studying everything they can. They 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 ever put out there. They're studying and having plan having a plan for. But I think on the other side of the coin, I'm not so sure McVay and the Rams really tried to run that much. You know, to be able to to be able to run to be successful in the run, you got to give it a little more effort than I think they gave. And you know, ultimately they won the game, so it really doesn't matter. But um, you'd like to see them just try to at least threaten the run a little bit more, and you know, I think that opens up a little more in the passing game. But right, um, yeah, I think it's kind of both sides. Right, yeah, you got to stick with the running game; opens up more. Um, so people are going to talk about that whole penalty thing at the end. Uh, the, the linebacker Logan Wilson on Cooper Cup. My takeaway is: look, the game's fast; it's tough. It's inches, half inches. The refs aren't perfect, right? It's going to balance out. So that, that pass interference call late in the game balances out. Cincinnati's basically free touchdown when, when their wide receiver rips Jalen Ramsey down and, uh, and scores. What are your thoughts on that? Is, that? is that something that happens quite often where it kind of balances out, or, or am I in the wrong here? No, I, 100%. You know, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in football is coaches or even players just saying, oh, the refs. And, I mean, you hear it from the fans all the time, right? And the refs are never right. Somebody's pissed at the refs. And that's a big pet peeve of mine. No, you have all game. I mean, yeah, one call might have went against you, but you have the other, you know, 150 calls that, you know, didn't go against you or whatever. It's always going to balance out. You know, I think just go out and make a play. And, you know, the call goes against you, we'll get out there and make it right the next play. So, yeah, huge, huge pet peeve of mine when people, you know, blame it on the officials because they, they got a hard job and, you know, yeah, we got replay and all that now, and I'm sure there's certain things they're supposed to call and not call or let it go to replay, but I, I do not envy uh, an official at any, at any level. Right, I, I completely agree. So, speaking at any level, you're at Pitt now. Um, how, how's that going, first of all? Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I had a great opportunity this past year to kind of take a sabbatical and, and get down and had a great relationship with Coach Narduzzi and the Panthers. And, yeah, I was with them all season. Got an ACC title, you know, worked with Kenny Pickett on the daily and, uh, you know, did a lot of stuff for, for Coach Whipple in the offense. And, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Awesome to be a part of it. You know, I'm a small alma mater. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate and very blessed to have that ability or have that opportunity. So you mentioned Kenny Pickett. I, I think he's maybe one of the only true first-round quarterbacks in this draft. But I will say I'm worried about the hand size. I might be crazy, but I, the last guy that I heard this be as big of an issue with is Teddy Bridgewater. Now, he's had a fine career, uh, true grown-up in the room, really good NFL uh, quarterback, 
but I'm not sure that that he he's lived up to a first round caliber quarterback career. Do you feel that it's going to be an issue with Kenny Pickett, or, or what gives you confidence with him that he's going to be able to kind of break through that that minor little issue? Yeah, I mean, I'll be 100 percent honest with you. I mean, other than him wearing gloves, you you know, I would have never thought anything about it, you know, till they mentioned it when he went to work out and all that. I mean, it never that was never ever ever brought up in you know our meetings or practices or anything like that. Yeah, so that's the reason he wore the glove just to get a little bit of better grip on the ball. But um, yeah, no, I wouldn't think that's going to have anything to do with it. Have you uh, have you been able to talk to the new the new transfer quarterback Caden Slovis yet, and uh, and been able to do any workouts with him? Yeah, we had a quick conversation. I just we was on campus, and um, he's he's the real deal. You know, he comes from a great pedigree, um, has a great opportunity to come in and continue what what Kenny you know kind of got us to last year got a lot of pieces back and looking forward to from a great great year from him um now right now it's all off season work that's all the kids are lifting now and there's really no football stuff um as of yet but spring ball is right around the corner so be curious to see how how he does but good looking kid there's no doubt absolutely now going back to the time at pine Ridge a little bit you had uh players under you and, and coach players like phil Dracovic, uh ben Danucci. what are some similarities and differences uh in, in their game and how you think that'll translate to the next level. I mean, I, I would think Phil would be an, a second round talent right now going back for another year at BC, I think is a good decision. Um, you know, what, what was it like coaching those kind of players on that stage? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, and they're two total different players, you know, Ben Danucci, um, you know, both three year starters for me. Ben was, they were kind of different paths. Ben was just a kid that could pass the football. He wasn't a very good football player. I mean, I remember as a sophomore and, <laughs> He was very average, and even even as a junior, you know, he had a decent year. You know, we knew he could throw the football, but he still wasn't a quarterback yet. He didn't have the attitude, the demeanor, the leadership, and none of that stuff that it takes to be a good quarterback. Um, but he worked at it, continued to get bigger, faster, stronger. You know, his body came together. Um, real lanky kid always, but he always, always was a great passer of the football. Um, we had a good system that he was in and a lot of good players around him that, you know, he was able to get the ball to, didn't try to do too much and ultimately earned himself a full scholarship at University of Pittsburgh and transferred down to JMU and played for a national title, uh, the, you know, um, F, uh, FCS level. And obviously now he's with the Cowboys and making a good living and hopefully he can hang out there for a couple more years. But, uh, then you got a kid like Phil Dracovic who, you know, he knew in seventh, eighth grade that he was going to be a pretty good talent um you know it's just a matter of you know it wasn't a matter of when it was a matter of you know or it wasn't a matter of if it was when he was going to get on the field and be your starter you know ninth grader i probably could have moved him up but you know Danucci was a senior so i knew that probably wouldn't have been a good move but once once ben left phil stepped right in as a sophomore and uh you know hit the ground running and you know arguably one of the best high school football players in the history of pennsylvania um you know an awesome career there but just a great competitor you know he definitely got better as a quarterback you know he's always a leader always a competitor always a big kid uh, but you know he had to improve his craft year after year and you know we worked with him my staff worked with him my quarterback coach uh, Todd Yoakum worked with him and just you know through the years through the reps I mean nobody was going to work harder than Phil and that was the bottom line and he had the talent just a matter of getting his you know his, his accuracy and all the stuff that it takes to be a good quarterback up to where it needed to be and who obviously went to Notre Dame and now is at Boston College. And like you said, I mean, I think he could be the Heisman front runner, um, or at least in that conversation coming into the 2020 uh, 
I guess that'd be the 2022 season. Absolutely agree with you. Um, one of the things that you said that was very interesting too is, you know, once Danucci, a top talent like that, does graduate and leave, Phil is able to, in his sophomore year, step right up into that position and, and fill those shoes really well. I think it speaks a lot about the culture of the organization and just the culture that you brought to uh, the team. If you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, maybe a couple key points, key takeaways that you like to instill in these players that give them the ability to, you know, just plug and play next man up mentality. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about, and I think that just kind of happens organically, naturally. You know, you, you get in there and you put everything you have into a program, and um, you know the kids see that. And it wasn't just me; it wasn't just me. It's my entire staff, right? You know, everybody's got to live it every day, and you know we build a culture and a, a program that kids want to be a part of, and it just kind of naturally grows. And you treat kids the right way, treat people the right way, and they want to come out for the team and play. And all of a sudden, you look, look, and you got all these kids playing football, and they want to be successful and you know, you're winning games and the young kids are seeing that and then it just kind of, you know, feeds itself. It's kind of a beautiful thing. And, you know, to be able to have a, once you have the program in place, you have a staff in place and then it's just, you know, next man, man up mentality, the expectations there. The kids understand what, what they want to accomplish. And, you know, we were able to do that and sustain a lot of success over the, you know, eight year career that I had at Pine Ridge. Yeah. Uh, what, was, what were some of the biggest challenges coaching, um, you know, in the Whippeal against some of those top talents? I know you got like a CJ Thorpe from uh, from Central Catholic. You got a lot of big name guys in that conference with you. Um, you know, what were what were some of the things? Was it, you know, tracking some of these guys even coming up through all the way through middle school, high school? So, that, you know, you can plan to protect against them or, or what was the thought process there? No, I, I mean, you know, with Pine, we're a public school, so you can't recruit, so you're stuck with who you got. You know, some years you got, you know, kids that are really big and strong. Some years you got kids that are really small and quick, and you got to kind of adapt within that. But, yeah, we play in a very tough league. You know, with, you know, North Allegheny back in the day was always, always very competitive. You know, Central Catholic, you know, very competitive, a really good rival. Um, you know, so playing against those nice local um you know, competitors, rivals, and then you go ahead and, you know, we had the fortunate enough to play in the state title, uh, what, three times, you know, in St. Joe's prep. Um, well, two of those times, beat them once, lost to them once, and then we won another state title in 2020. But, yeah, I think it just kind of, um, you know, feeds itself. And, you know, as far as just prepping for that stuff, I think you just got to take care of yourself and the rest, the rest takes care of, you know, take care of yourself and the rest takes care of itself as well. You know, we're not really looking what anybody else has. We're just worried about what we had and making, you know, the best possible team we could from what we had. You know, like I said, some years we were really spread and threw the ball all around and some years we, you know, handed it off a lot more. So just kind of, and that's the beautiful thing about high school football. You're not sure what you got and every year is different. So. Right. Um, and, and then you taking over that defense. I know uh, you did a lot of work with the, the defense and, and re-scheming some things. Um, what was that in 2017 or 2018, if I'm not mistaken? Um, you know, and Pine Richland had probably one of the best defenses, a lot of talent, uh, guys like Tyler King, who have been on the show before, um, you know, what were those guys able to do to elevate just the overall play of that defense? Because it was one of the quickest, it was, you know, one of the most electric defenses. And then you flip it around and they had, you guys had the most prolific offense in all of high school football. Yeah, you know, we, we kind of went in and built the offense when we started, 20-whatever, 13. And, yeah, and 14, lost the state championship. We scored 41 points and lost to 
St. Joe's prep. So kind of since that time, uh, so that ain't going to happen again, you know, so I'm going to kind of put it on myself. So I took 15 and 16 and continued to kind of prep my couple of my young coaches with the offense to make sure that was all good to go. Um, you know, I knew I had a pretty good quarterback in Dracovic coming back as a senior in 17. So I said, this no better time to do this. Um, so I went over and took over the defense in 17. And again, I knew the offense was in good hands with Phil and my staff. And yeah, we went out and just kind of revamped how we played defense around here. And, you know, it all worked out. And a lot of great players, like you said, Tyler King and Michael Kadick and Andrew Christoffick and, you know, Anthony Sermonera, a lot of just really, really, really good high school football players, some that went on to play at college, but there's a lot just great high school players, kids like, you know, Merrick Miller, and Tommy Camino, just incredible high school kids that played hard and played for each other. And that's all it takes to really win a championship, guys like that. Absolutely. Well, Coach, thank you so much for coming on. That's that's all we got for you today. So, uh, you know, we, we appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on the show. Thank you. Anytime. Love talking football, especially in Western PA. So thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Tim from The Issue here. We'll talk to you a little bit about Phoenix Supplements, spelled F-N-X, pronounced Phoenix. Just ordered some. I got some coming in the mail. Go get your creatines. Go get your glutamines. Anything that you need to achieve your fitness goal is available on phoenix.com. Use the code TJ2022. They make great gifts as well. Go out. Check it out. Order all Phoenix stuff. Phoenix.com and use the code TJ2022. Alright, we are back. Second segment after an electric interview with Coach Eric Kasparovich. In- informational, professional. I mean, what what more could you ask for from a guest, let alone a high-level guest? Like, I mean, that was honored, honored. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, just a great guy, and um, I'm so glad that we could, you know, have the opportunity to sit down and pick his brain, because he holds a wealth of knowledge about about football, about schemes, about building uh, a culture, a team, and and having to adapt. Like he said, you know, in high school football, coaching high school football, you're stuck with what you got, and um, you know, it, you're, not, you're not drafting guys. You don't have a you don't have a salary cap to go out and spend on free agents, right? right? So you have to make do with what you have, and being able to be so successful at doing that, it, it speaks a lot about the uh, the level of coaching and you know, the people that he appointed around him. Right. Side note, uh, beginning of every second segment, I, I checked the weather. It's a little bit rainy today. And, uh, I mean, it's warming up. It's February and it's like 50 degrees, but it's, but it's rain. So I'm not a huge fan of rain. But anyway, no, I, he, he agreed with me on a lot of things when it comes to the Super Bowl, especially when it comes to big-time players make big-time plays. And you see that at every level, right? He said that, um, you know, pretty much, yeah, you can win games with like a really solid roster, but at the end of the day, you need the guys, right? You need the big time players to step up in the big time moments. Yeah. You see it in every level. On his teams when Phil Dracovic stepped up and was easily the best player on the field. Well, because he should be almost every game. He I mean he was a specimen. And so I mean that makes sense. He stepped up when you needed him to. Right? You see it in college football, right? In the national championship game, it's like oh, okay, yeah. I mean Georgia has a loaded defense. That's exactly who stepped up, right? You see it in the in the professional levels. Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, easily the three best players at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, 
exactly. They were they were going in, and that's exactly how it sh- uh, shook out at the end. Yeah, uh, and that's that's a lot of what he touched on as well. Uh, coming up in this segment, though, we have our hits and misses. Uh, we usually have that in the first segment, but when you have a guy like Eric Kasparovich on, uh, hits and misses gets bumped down uh, to segment number two. So without further ado, let's get going on that. All right, so let's go with hits. Um, some su- Super Bowl predictions, right? So we each had our own couple hits uh, from this past week. We kind of ran through. We both predicted the winner of the game, the MVP, um, the biggest disappointment, so I guess the reverse MVP, um, the spread, the over-unders, the score, and then a favorite prop bet. So I hit the winner, the MVP. I would argue biggest disappointment, I think that was Zach Taylor. I think running Samaj AP Ryan on third and one on your final drive of the football game, he's your eighth best offensive option. We went through it. Joe Mixon, one. Joe Burrow, two. Run, I'm talking Joe running the football as well. Jamar Chase, through the error on the ground. T. Higgins, error on the ground. Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uzoma, their next best, their fourth wide receiver, probably would have been a better option. Um, so I, I question the whole Zach Taylor. I would argue was the biggest disappointment. Um, but I, I missed the spread, the over-under, the prop bet, and the score. Um, but you, you hit the winner, missed the MVP, kind of on the disappointment. You said Joe Mixon. I thought he played well. Um, the spread you hit, we both missed uh, the over, the over-under, and the score. But then your favorite prop bet, you bet the Rams to win the toss and the game. They did both of those, so uh, congratulations. Yeah, they, that one felt good. good. I, I watched the coin toss, and I was like, all right, well, this this pretty much decides it already, so let's just you know rip the Band-Aid off. It was heads. And, right. And, and uh, if anybody else was wondering, you know, it, it did land on heads. The Rams win the toss. I was like, Feeling pretty good. We have a pretty feeling, good chance right now because you like the Rams good. to win the game already I, I, anyway. I already so it's almost like a 100% like, chance that the Rams win the game. So. Fair enough. Um, okay, misses. Let's go back to that over-under. Uh, it, it's weird because Super Bowls get so situational. And I think this is one of the first Super Bowls that I've really sat down and watched the whole entire thing and analyzed, like, I swear to God, like every play. It gets really, really situational. And something in regular season, like both these offenses are really good. This seems like an easy over. It was like 48 and a half. Yeah. It stands at what forty six. He has twenty three twenty, so it ends at forty six. I thought it was an easy over, but like I said, Super Bowls are really close, situational, kind of decided in the trenches, mm-hmm. um, and they're generally not that high scoring. But then I think that, and then I think, oh, but Philly put up what forty one on New England in a Super Bowl. Philadelphia with Nick Foles put up forty one, right? Yeah. So it's like Atlanta led twenty eight three. It's like crazy things happen. So it's like. It's so hard to judge the over/under on a Super Bowl because yes, it is situational, but that situation could also be we have to score a bunch of points. So it's, it's really hard to to bet that. All right, how about another hit? Let's go with Burrow. Um, I, I said that I, I'm worried a little bit. This was after his rookie season. I go, does it kind of seem like Andrew Luck? Right, I don't think he's as generationally talented as Andrew Luck, but a guy that was able to come in with a horrific franchise historically over the last you know decade prior to right Andrew Luck um, Indianapolis post Peyton Manning was horrendous they were a bottom three organization Andrew Luck came in and got him in the in the playoffs right exactly what Joe Burrow did but look at how many times he's getting sacked 70 times this season it's mm, a lot of hits I mean he probably hurt something on that la- on that one of those last plays two where he gets rolled up on if that's a regular season game he's coming out of the football game 
he's going right back to get an MRI. I mean, you saw him limping off the field to the sideline. I mean, did you see it like, bend? It did not bend the proper way. It no. did not rotate the proper way. Um, look, I, I do worry with Joe Burrow. I think he's looking more like Andrew Luck than at this point than I think he is like like Tom Brady, mm-hmm. right? Because people are like, oh, he's the next Brady. Um, I, I guess maybe, but... I, to me, he looks more like Andrew Luck. I think he's going to be out of the league in a couple years if he keeps taking this type of beating. I hate when people start making those long shot comparisons uh, to guys like Tom Brady, who played in the league for you know over twenty years, and uh, a guy like Joe Burrow, who don't get me wrong, is good. But let's let's chill out with the comparisons to a, a Joe Burrow, a second year Joe Burrow, and you know a, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all the time, and Tom Brady, and how he created the dynasty. I mean, he's taking a beating. Like, it, you just, you can't, your body can't hold up. These are big, these are big dudes. Like, you just can't, you can't, you can't hit that much. Okay, uh, Mrs. McVeigh. Uh, I will say, I don't think he coached poorly, mm. but that's not the second straight Super Bowl that he has been able to, unable to run the football in. He's supposed to be up there with Kyle Shanahan as an absolute wizard, and he usually is during the regular season when it comes to getting the numbers in his advantage to the run side of the play. He's been unable to run now. In his only two Super Bowl appearances, I'm not saying only because he's still so young, it's impressive. But I'm saying in his two Super Bowl appearances, he's been able to un not able to run the football, unable to run the football. I I don't get it. Someone who's so consistently good at it freezes in the biggest game. Um, so I, I thought McVay. I do still think he's a top five coach in the league. But you see a little bit of a hole, right? Mm-hmm. Belichick can't draft Andy Reid. Actually, I don't, I don't really know Andy Reid's hole. I guess he's not great on defense. But it's like, and then McVay. In big games, he sometimes cannot run the football. He, he gets this game plan in his head. It kind of unfolds. It doesn't go how he wants it and kind of sticks with it, right? They're running the same play in the third and fourth quarter. That hasn't worked the first two. It's like, is he is he going to adjust? Like, is he going to do something different? It, it did not seem so. And finally, let's get a little MLB hit, uh, miss here, actually. So I, I thought the MLB would be not decided but closer to figuring out any disagreements they have i don't think they've ever been farther and i've never been more not, i don't want to say scared that that sounds weird to to phrase it like scared but i don't right now i i can't give you any bit of certainty that there's going to be an mlb season at all i mean they, they are so far apart on the uh what mlbpa and the mlb it was a collective bargaining agreement mm-hmm. yeah the, the cba right they're trying to negotiate it. Players want this. Owners don't want that. They're going back and forth. They have found no footing. There's no confidence whatsoever that there is going to be a season at all. I mean, I don't know. What, no baseball. I mean, it does worry me. And I mean, they, they are not close to any type of agreement. I've, I was looking on Twitter right before we got on the show. And, um, and you know, Andrew, I saw a tweet from Andrew McCutcheon and then realized that they still all took. All the players took like the pictures. The, out their, their pictures bio. off their bio because that's what the MLB did on their on their website. Right, and and the, apparently the latest um, proposal from the MLBPA was really disliked by all the players. Um, so you know, hopefully they get that figured out. I think it's almost I out of the question that, they, that it's going to start on time because no, they, they're not. They already said spring training is probably going to be late. Yeah, I mean it's it's we're not getting baseball on time. I'm hoping we get baseball at all. Right, like I knew that I can't even use the the language that I want to. I knew it was going to be an absolute trash fire, like an absolute dumpster mm-hmm. fire, uh, because Manfred 
he's not good. He's really he's really not a good commissioner. I don't I don't know if he's as bad as some people say, but he's not a good commissioner. So I didn't I didn't expect this to be a success. And I knew it'd be a little bit of a dumpster fire, but I did not expect it this bad. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole this is a landfill fire. This is not just a dumpster fire. I mean, I don't they're not they're not going to start on time, I don't think. No. I don't think they will. Um I I don't know. But Anyway, let's get to uh Let's go to a break, yeah? Yeah, let's go to a break. All right, let's go to a break. And then uh, when we come back, we're going to rank the top 10 players from the Super Bowl. We got six. No, actually, we got five and five. We got five Rams and five Bengals. But you're going to see the positioning of where these Rams are or why they won the Super Bowl. We'll get into that. And then GM Genius. Hey guys, it's Luke here from The Issue. Doing the podcast, we want equipment that works just as hard as we do. That's why we chose Rockville Audio when we thought to build the studio. We got our microphones, boomsticks, a mixer, headphones, audio cables, everything from rockvilleaudio.com. They have way more than that. They have stuff for your car, for boats, lighting, audio, everything you could possibly need. Find it at rockville.com. They are awesome. Go check it out. That is rockville.com. What's up? We are back. It is the third segment here on the issue on a Thursday. Um, yeah, that's right. We're, we're a three-segment type of show. Yeah, we are. We why, ha- why would you go anywhere else with, with less? Why would you do that? Yeah, never settle. You wouldn't. That's the answer. That's the answer. If you're listening this far, you're a real one, and so you wouldn't go to a would go to a show with less than this many segments because you've made it to this one. So clearly, you value the third segment. So we're going to do our best to give you the best third segment that third segments have ever seen. That's very true. We have a lot coming up on this one. We're going to rank uh, the top ten players from the Super Bowl. Um, you know, regardless of team, regardless of position, just who played the best. So we, we do actually have, like I said, five Bengals, five Rams. Yeah, and, and that was not planned. Uh, that was just who we thought was, or who, who was the best on, on the field, look, uh, on the biggest stage. Look, everybody dogs on the Bengals. It's like no, they, they. I mean, they controlled the game for. I mean, the second quarter and the third quarter, yeah. and then the Rams had the first and the fourth. So it's like. No, the Bengals didn't play that poorly. I mean, yes, their offensive line did. I'd argue that, that was one of the worst performances I've seen from an O line maybe ever. Yeah, it was not when it comes good. to when it comes to factoring in the stage and uh, you know all factors considered, that was one of the worst performances from an O line. But I mean, that doesn't mean other guys didn't play well. So without further ado, let's let's just hop right in. Let's start at number ten, and let's go with let's go with Sam Hubbard. So he's a defensive guy. Uh, an edge rusher. He didn't have any sacks, but he did have two tackles for loss, and he had eight total tackles, and he, he had a bunch of hurries, right? I, I feel like I was always hearing his name called. I saw him in the backfield a, a bunch, and he's kind of a dynamic pass rusher. He was in that... He was kind of at Ohio State during that whole... the You know, when the Bosa brothers were kind of coming through, right? He was kind of sandwiched in between the Bosa brothers, played more with Nick, but a little bit with Joey, a little bit. doesn't matter. He kind of got overlooked, I think it might be time to, for him to kind of come to the forefront a little bit. I'm not sure he's on the level of a TJ Watt or either of the Bosa's, but he's certainly the next tier down. He's a good pass rusher. He lives in the backfield. I like that he can stop the run as well. He's not just a pass rusher. Um, I, I love TJ Watt, but there are some times where I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, I'd, maybe if it's a run only, like if it's on the goal line, maybe I'd rather, you know, have a guy who, if I know they're running the ball, get it. Not with Sam Hubbard, he can do a little bit of both, although he's not quite as dynamic as, like I said, a Boa, uh, a Boza, or a Watt. All right, number nine, let's go with Joe Mixon. 
Um, people were kind of ripping on him for not being able to run the ball more. He, he averaged almost five a carry, and he threw a touchdown pass. And that wasn't the guy like wasn't wide open. I mean, he had to float it over a DB, and he had the back uh, line of the end zone as a barrier. Obviously, he couldn't just chuck it downfield, put some air under it, and hope the guy runs under it or anything. Like that was a good, accurate throw of the football. Got the score kind of you know rolling. Got the Bengals rolling a little bit. I, I didn't think he played poorly at all. I don't know. You picked him as your biggest disappointment. What do you think about it? Um. You know, I don't think he was the biggest disappointment. I was definitely wrong on that prediction, but I mean, he didn't do anything to wow me. He didn't do anything to really produce much for Cincinnati. He did enough um, Out, you outside know, of just that touchdown. I think. Yeah, uh, but uh, out, the touchdown was obviously impressive. I, I was impressed. By I that. think that's the reason he's on this list. I will yeah. say he played a very average game, mm-hmm. but that bumps him up enough to put him on this list. I think that that throw that touchdown pass. Absolutely. Right, let's go with eight. Let's go with Jamar Chase. I think outside of that long bomb, I didn't think he played particularly well. I don't think he was separating, right? I, there wasn't. Right, I, when I watch Jamar Chase like film, I watch his games, he makes a couple plays a game where you're like, I mean, that is just special, right? He's a big physical receiver, but he can move. He's quick. He's got really good hands. And there's always about three or four plays a game like that. I only saw one from him. So I'm not saying he played poorly, but I think he could have been higher on this list had he had. You know, games were almost accustomed to seeing. I think he almost set the bar a little bit too high for himself, yeah. if that's possible. He's been a really, really talented receiver, especially as a rookie. And, uh, I mean, that big play was still crucial, so he still belongs on this list, and he was still uh, the second-leading receiver for the team. But the first-leading receiver is next, and that's T. Higgins, because he caught a touchdown pass as well. So we now have four Bengals here at the bottom of the list. We have Sam Hubbard, Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, and then T. Higgins at seven, like I said, caught the touchdown pass, eclipsed 100 yards. I think that's why he's above Chase. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, he didn't make any—outside of the free touchdown that he got, the 75-yard free touchdown, didn't play all that well. But at the end of the day, he put six on the board on a big splash momentum play. Whether it should have been called back or not doesn't matter at this point. This is a retroactive look. He still played pretty well. All right, number six. Now let's get into kind of where the Rams start to dominate this list here. Let's go to six. Nobody, I didn't even know the name existed. His name's Ernest Jones. Um, I saw the number, right? Obviously watching the football game. He's a linebacker for the Rams, number 50, because you might know him better um, from the linebacker or from the from the number, right? Because you just saw the number flying all over the field. Seven tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, a pass defensed. I mean, he was all over the field. He was all over the field. He was one of the main reasons that Mixon wasn't a big factor out of the backfield because he has been throughout the season. Um, and he was also a reason that I don't think Mixon, yeah, he, he ran the ball decent, but I think he could have ran the ball better had it not been for this linebacking core, which I think Ernest Johnson was the, the focal point of. I mean, Tackles for loss, in my eyes, are very, very similar to a sack. Yeah, a sack might be worth, like, on average six yards, and a tackle for loss on average, like, two. But if you're driving the offense back and getting them off schedule, I mean, that's huge. Because what an offense is trying to do on first down to run the football is to get ahead of the chains. Give me four or five, so I'm throwing in second and five, and third and four, and third and twos, right? Instead of third and elevens, third and nines, right? And so if you're able to push that offense back and keep them off schedule— that, to me, is just as important as a sack. He had two of those, and he added a sack and had a pass defense. Ernest Johnson, welcome to the list. I didn't even know your name, but it's awesome to have you. You're at number six. All right, number five, let's go with Vaughn Miller. Started slow, right? I don't think he had the best first half, but I thought he came on really strong, had two sacks, two tackles for loss. So I, I liked his ability to kind of play the run a little bit, too. 
because in Denver he did have some games where it's like he's getting after the quarterback and that's about it. I think as a veteran he's kind of accepted the role where it's like, hey, I kind of just got to do what I got to do, right? It's the Super Bowl. You just have to do what you got to do. He was able to get after the quarterback. He had a huge pass deflection late. Um, and I, I think what he does to complement Aaron Donald, it might not always show up on the stat sheet, but little stunts here and there, because they were lining Aaron Donald up on the same side as Von Miller quite a bit. And the stunts that he was able to pull with Aaron Donald, does it show up on the stat sheet? No. Do I think he was a major factor? Absolutely. He lands at five. All right, number four, let's go back to Joe Burrow. I think he played really well given the circumstances. Um, sacked seven times in all seven of the sacks were in his final 22 pass attempts. So, you know, 22 dropbacks. He was sacked seven times. I that, that That's the last 22. So, I mean, the offensive line started okay, but at the end of the day, Aaron Donald and, and Von Miller kind of wore him down. But I still think Joe Burrow played a hell of a game. The I amount mean, of toughness he showed was it was incredible. Uh, you know, being able to get sacked seven times and still be by far the most standout talented player on the team. I mean, just say it out loud. They trailed in time of possession, total yards, sacks. Um, they did not trail in turnovers, actually. But uh, throwing yard, total yards, passing yards, time of possession, sacks. I mean, he was sacked seven times. And the fact that they were within three points doesn't even make sense. And I think it's all due to Joe Burrow. I think he's the reason they had a chance late. And he wasn't even given a fair opportunity because offense, his offensive line is abysmal. All right, number three. Um, we're getting to the top three now. I had mentioned that uh, it, it's Cup, Donald, Stafford. Oh, so let's start with Stafford. It, you could argue me into pretty much any order here. Do I think Stafford played A-plus all game? No. Do I think he played A-plus when he absolutely, the entire world, all 113 million watching, and another, I don't know, maybe 100,000 in attendance? When everybody, all 100-some million, knew he had to throw the football in the fourth quarter, what did he do? Oh, I don't know. Picked apart Cincinnati. I, I, I don't know. Maybe in one of the biggest throws of his life, decides to no-look it. Or how about throw a perfect back shoulder fade for the game-winning touchdown? I I mean, I could go on. Hey, when greatness, Sean McVay said it best, when greatness was required, greatness was received from Matt Stafford. I mean, when you needed it most... Boy, did he show up. I mean, that no-look pass might be the most impressive singular throw of the football that I've seen from a quarterback ever. Maybe ever, yeah. I mean, given the circumstances, have you seen all the different camera angles of it? it? The one that's, like, down behind from the, the linebacker's feet where you can, like, Right, kind of from him, the like, defensive side. Yeah, you can almost see him, like, staring you down, and that ball just... And it was a dot, too. It a was perfect. Perfect pass. I mean, even some of the Mahomes no-looks, you see, it's kind of a little bit off, right? A little no, wobbly. That was absolutely perfect in stride to Cooper Cup. In a perfectly tight spiral, too, that was probably going like 75 miles an hour. Hey, beautiful. Beautiful <laughs> ball. All right, number two, Aaron Donald. You 100% could argue me into number one here. What he's able to do, especially closing out the football game, yeah. the tackle for a loss. If he doesn't the, get to him, it, that it, Cincinnati wins that game. Well, because Jamar Chase is streaking down the sideline wide open because Jalen Ramsey had fallen down, and there was nobody else. If Burrow just lofts it up, Jamar Chase walks in for a touchdown. Game over, Cincinnati wins. But, but no. Oh, wait, no. Number 99. Aaron Donald gets in the backfield, gets the sack, finishes the game, closes it out. You could certainly argue me into to him being number one, and I think at this point it's interchangeable. But I'm, I am going to go with Cup. One, because he actually got the recognition of the MVP award. So, I mean, clearly other people agree with me, right? 
Um, and also, I think what he was able to do, yeah, everybody knows he gets double Aaron Donald, especially late in the game. But but Cincinnati didn't. So that's why he got that ability, that, that free rush, right, to kind of end the game there. Cooper Cup was bracketed every single play of that drive except the goal line play where, where they scored. But that was because of the goal line and, and usually goal lines one-on-one almost every time. He was bracketed on every play and he had four catches on the drive. Um, kind of back to Stafford, when, when Cooper Cup needed to be the best wide receiver on the planet, he was. And then I think when you look over, it's hard to not look at his entire body of work for the season. There's only two, two players, two wide receivers in history to win the Triple Crown, which is leading the league in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. Cooper Cup did that this season. Offensive Player of the Year and Super Bowl MVP. There's only two receivers to ever do it. Jerry Rice the other one. Jerry Rice took a whole entire career to do it. Cooper Cup just did it in this in this season. Like this singular season alone, he did what one other person in NFL history needed an entire career to do. And not only a person, it's Jerry Rice. That's insane. That's so nuts. it's hard to not take that into account when I'm looking at this. So um, to review, let's go Cup 1, Donald 2, Stafford at 3. We got Joe Burrow at 4. Vaughn Miller rounding out the top five. At six, we have Ernest Johnson, T. Higgins at seven, Jamar Chase at eight, Joe Mixon at nine, and Sam Hubbard at ten. So look how look where all the LA guys are. They're at the top. Right? They're at the top. So yeah, the split on the best players in the game is technically five and five. But look at the split in the top five. It's four and one favored LA. Back to what Kasparovich said. Phenomenal coach. Knows what he's talking about. Don't take it from me, take it from him. Big-time players make big-time plays. I think his actual quote is, big players make big plays. Is that not what we just saw? I mean, yeah. if, he, if you don't take it from me, take it from him. Take it from any coach ever because that's what they're going to say. And uh, you know what else I noticed while we were going through that list? And I was thinking about how you were you know, saying that uh, you know, the coaching on, on the Cincinnati sideline was, you know, part, it was a disappointment. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was. I was thinking of another example while you were talking there. Um, and it points to an error in the coaching. Can can you guess the the scenario? Uh, maybe it's when the I don't know player in civilian clothes cost the uh, Cincinnati Bengals great field position. Fifteen yards. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a lack of coaching. That's a lack of discipline on that sideline. I mean, he's cut. He has to be cut, right? I mean, what does the New England Patriots sideline look like when they get a turnover in the Super Bowl? Are there players running that are not even dressed no, for the you know, game? No, the only people running is the defense off the field and the offense onto the field because now they're going to capitalize and score. That's an error in the coaching. I completely agree. Um, so now let's go. We're going to get into GM Genius. Uh, we're going to do the AFC North Division. I feel like because it's kind of fresh, right? The Bengals just played. So I think that's that's probably the best division to do right now. And then uh, probably next week we'll do the NFC West then because that's a fresh division as well. So let's get in. Without further uh, ado. GM Genius. Let's go with the Bengals. We'll go in reverse from top to bottom this time. We usually go bottom to top. But we'll, go, we'll go top to bottom because why not? Because we're, we're fancy like that. All right, Bengals. I mean, I feel like you know, I could call a five-year-old in here right now and be like, hey, what do you think the Bengals should do? And he'd be like, oh, draft an offensive lineman. It'd be, it'd be a no-brainer, right? I, I could argue you into every single one of their picks should be an offensive lineman. I mean, if there if there is a trade available to move up to get that Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, I think you should do it. 
because you have a lot of wide receiver talent, so you could lose a T. Higgins and be fine. You could lose a Tyler Boyd and be okay. Right? You could lose, um, you know, a first-round pick next year and move up for that for, for Tyler Linderbaum or a really top prospect that you feel really good about drafting. Or or you wait till one falls to you at 31. It's not terrible. There's a lot of depth at the offensive line position. So you certainly could. You don't have to trade up. But if you think that Linderbaum is an all-time talent, which I think he is, he'd be an absolute anchor. I mean, look at all the dynasties, right? Look at Peyton had Jeff Saturday. You know what I mean? Like A, a lot of good dynasties have a rock-solid center. Um, so it wouldn't be a bad idea. And then going forward, I'd probably spend your cap space on the offensive line and probably draft some some uh, defensive back depth. Yeah, I mean, they're not. It. It's not a bad secondary, but it's certainly not optimal, right? Top and, of the AFC. At the end of the day, you have really good wideouts. Your linebacking core is pretty good. You can rush the passer. Yes, the roster needs some work, but I don't think there's a, a glaring, glaring weakness outside of offensive line and secondary. So uh, I would say get some depth in the secondary there uh, with some later picks. All right, let's go to the Steelers next. I, I also think that they should take spend their first-round pick on an offensive lineman. If you really, really don't love it, if their scouting room doesn't love any of the first-round offensive linemen or all of them are taken by the time you draft, I wouldn't be upset with a DB. But at this point, I do think you need to go and fortify the offensive line, whether it's for if you get a, a veteran quarterback like a Rodgers or like a Jimmy G. Because, I mean, Jimmy G isn't, doesn't really move all that well, needs an offensive line. Or whether it's for a young guy that you're going to bring in next year or the year after, right? Because you would like him to be protected. He already has weapons, so you build him a wall, right? Um, so I, I think you got to go get an offensive lineman. And then I would go sign a Carson Wentz, a Jimmy G, a Minshew, somebody, somebody that can get you to next year. Preferably not Minshew. I don't mind him, and I think he's better than people give him credit for. But I do think like a Wentz or a Jimmy G, even a Teddy Bridgewater would probably be a better option. Yeah. If you can get an Aaron Rodgers, my God, that'd be nuts. Because oh. there have been rumors about, you know, the whole, because Tomlin and Aaron flirt a little bit and he goes on Pat McAfee and talks about it. So it's like, is it possible? Absolutely. And if that's on the table, you take that deal no matter what. If you, I mean, think today. Let's do, let's do a little thought exercise real quick, a little sidebar. If, if the Green Bay Packers said, as many years as Aaron Rodgers is going to play for your team, we get the first-round pick. So if Aaron plays for the next four years, we get your first-round pick for the next four years. Okay. Would you, would you do it? I would do it. I'd, I'd sign the contract in a heartbeat. I'd sign the trade in a heartbeat. I would do it if it was under three to four years. Well, I mean, we know Aaron's probably not going to play that long. I mean, he, he talks about retiring. It's like every year. It's like uh, it's like Big Ben a couple years ago when he's just like every single offseason. It's like, oh, you got your calendar set. Yep, mine just went off. Big Ben's going to talk about retirement today. I mean, like clockwork. Aaron yeah. does the same thing. So I, we know he's not going to be around for – he's not a Brady who's going to be around until he's 44. I mean, it, we need a quarterback. That, that, that's all the Steelers – I wouldn't say all they need because, I mean, obviously the offensive line is a glaring issue. But if they, they can draft to solve that, I can't can think of any other big – I can't think of any other big things that can't be solved through maybe a trade rather than a draft. Um, I'd go I'd, – I'd get Aaron. I'd take Aaron. I would I would make that deal. Yeah, doesn't matter. It probably won't happen anyway. But I would go get a quarterback to get you to next year. I don't think you can roll with Rudolph or Haskins. No, not at all. All right, let's go with the Ravens. Your first pick's got to be an offensive lineman. Um, I, a lot of mock drafts have them taking that uh, that Linderbaum from um, Iowa, the one I was talking about with the Bengals. 
really probably one of the better interior offensive lineman prospects since Quentin Nelson, um, and and he arguably is a better prospect than Nelson. Uh, so if you can get him, that's a guy that for 13 years you have an all-pro. I mean, you have a guaranteed all-pro for the next 13 years. He's like a Kyle Pitts, right? We went into this past draft. We are like, yeah, some of these quarterbacks are kind of iffy, but then it's like, I mean, Kyle Pitts, yeah, he might not win a bunch of Super Bowls because he's going to Atlanta, but at the end of the day, he's going to be a pro bowler for the next, I don't know, 12, 13 years. I mean, he's going to have seven all-pro selections, and he's going to lead the lead the tight ends and touchdowns for, you know, eight out of the next 10 years. Like, yeah, he might not be a, you know, a real winning player. He might not win a bunch of Super Bowls. He's not as impactful as a quarterback, but he's a surefire all-pro. Oh, 100%. And so I think that's what you're kind of getting in the Linderbaum. So if he's there, you kind of take him because the Ravens don't have a lot of glaring weaknesses either. So it's kind of if you have a guy who's going to be a generational talent, you just take him and figure out the rest. And then I'd spend the cap and draft uh, on the back end on a little bit of defense, right, in your in your depth, your later round picks. I'd go get some defense. And, uh, I look, at this point, I'm done drafting wide receivers for Lamar. It's a, it's a run-first offense. Double down on it. Take the receivers you have now. Work with them. Double down on the run game. Go get a go get a road grading offensive line that is just absolutely unstoppable. They're an immovable force. They're going to blow guys five yards off the line of scrimmage and just double down. I mean, we can we can keep trying to draft Rashad Bateman and and Marquise Hollywood Brown. How has that worked out? Right. He's comfortable throwing to Mark Andrews. He's comfortable running the football, and he's a he, Lamar himself is also a generational talent. So you do what it takes to make him work. If that's running the football more, then that's what it is. Uh, that's just kind of what you got to do. You're not going to play to his weaknesses by going and spending a first-round pick on a wide receiver. And finally, the Browns. <laughs> this should be good. So I'd go get a wide receiver. Um, so they have two first-round picks. Here's the thing. I would go get a wide receiver with one of them, probably the second one, which is somewhere, I think it's like 29th, because then I would use the first one, which is a better pick, to trade away to upgrade a quarterback. You cannot win any big games with Baker Mayfield. It's just not going to happen. He's not mature enough in the locker room, and I don't think he's talented enough on the field. He makes bad decisions. Yes, he's accurate. So is everybody. He's not accurate enough. His arm's good, but it's not special. And it's not good enough to overcome literally anything. He's not good enough to overcome three sacks. We just saw Joe Burrow get to the Super Bowl with seven. You got to upgrade. So what I would do, the draft's giving you 15 really competitive wide receivers every year. Rookie wide receivers. We've seen it the past five seasons. You can pick one in the late first round. Take the early pick, trade it, and go go pick a good free agent, veteran quarterback, target him, trade for him. I don't care what you got to do. Put that first round pick, the first one of it, up for sale. Ship it off with another two or three first round picks and go get a really good quarterback. Yeah, just make sure that under no circumstances that you see a number six Mayfield jersey trotting out onto the field in uh, in 2022. It's just not going to be a great look. No, I, I'm in total agreement. I don't think I, I'm not sure. It's a tough sell to the locker room to try to run it back. You know what I mean? They're so talented. Um, it's a coach of the year level coach, right? He won it, and uh, the the, the roster is too good to keep wasting years on Baker, right? Look, is he good? Yeah, he's fine. He's he's super average. But that roster could win now, right? I think that roster is better than San Francisco. And look what Jimmy G did with San Francisco. 
you wouldn't give him a shot? I would. I'd give up that first-round pick. Mm, yeah. Only one of them, though, for, for Jimmy G. Either way, that's our GM genius for the NFC North. AFC North. AFC North. My God, I can't believe I said NFC. Anyway, AFC North. And then next week, oh, it's probably because I was going to let everybody know that we're going to do the NFC West next week because it's still fresh with the Rams, and there's a lot of controversy controversy with Kyler right now. Who knows with Russell Wilson? So there's a lot to kind of unpack uh, in the NFC West. So I was just so excited to get to that. I said NFC North. Yeah. Either way, that was the AFC North, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Browns. A lot of them need some linemen. A couple of them need quarterbacks. Um, could not be a more competitive division, I'll be honest with you. I think this and the NFC West those are probably the two best divisions. And uh, who would have thought the Bengals would have won it this season? I, not me. No. Not us. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I totally agree. But that is all we have for you guys today. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, you know, Go send this to a friend. That Eric Kasparovich interview was fantastic so listen to it one to you know three to like maybe 10 times if you're feeling it look i'm Um, telling you if you're a coach that wants some inspiration i mean listening to him talk it makes me want to go coach a football team i am so underqualified to coach a football team it's not even funny it's not even funny i haven't played since i was like maybe 12 so look he knows what he's talking about he's a smart guy it was a great interview it was exactly i didn't expect anything less though i'll say that right now i didn't not expect anything less Um, He's always been a smart, really well-spoken guy. Yeah, so uh, guys, thank you for listening, and that was The Issue.